Good morning, FCC. How are we doing today? Good, all right, very cool. Excited to be here with you as well. Um, on your way in today, you uh, probably saw this little card sitting in your seat. Um, and uh, this card here um, is just for a um, little bit of emphasis and intentionality today. Um, if you were here last week, we kicked off a new series called Just One. And the idea of this series is that though um, God cares about uh, everyone, uh, and though Jesus would speak to large crowds of people, um, ultimately what he did was he accomplished his mission one at a time. And he would be intentional about going and meeting with people individually and uh, sharing good news with them and inviting them into a journey, inviting them into a deeper relationship. So last week, we prayerfully identified, perhaps, who God was calling us to. Today, I want us to put that down in commitment to fill, at some point during this message or at the end, to write down their name. Uh, It could be a first name. This is for you to keep for yourself. Uh, It's just a kind of a commitment to yourself that this is going to be somebody that you're praying for and that you're looking for an opportunity to engage with. Uh, so today, uh, we're going to be looking at something a little bit differently. It wasn't just that we we're going to be praying for someone, uh, for God to identify who this person is, uh, but actually thoughtfully thinking through what it looks like to invite them. I- invite them. So uh, to do that, um, I was uh, thinking through... Um, what is the best resource I've seen on helping think through this process of an invitation? And uh, one that I had studied and came across was a guy named uh, Dr. Uh, Thom Rainier um, and his, um, his journey of being a CEO and president of LifeWay Christian uh, Resources. Uh, he, was, he got his uh, PhD degrees, plural, from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and somebody that I had followed for a little bit. Um, he did a nationwide survey on this topic of the invitation and people's journey with understanding Jesus and the church. And uh, this was some of the quotes I want to share with you, some stats that he found in his findings nationwide. So uh, check this out. The first one that he found, these are quotes from uh, Dr. Rainier uh, in his book, The Unchurched Next Door. And it was this, seven out of 10 unchurched people have never been invited to church in their lives. So 70%. So um, what they found nationwide was about 7 out of 10 people um, that are unchurched, had never actually been invited to church before in their lives. I, what made me think of this was actually kind of the feeling of the difference between getting an invitation and beginning to feel uninvited. It was this journey as I'm reading. It was like people were going from, you know, us thinking, oh, we're, you don't do this, so maybe you're not really interested, so I'm not going to invite you, to actually them going, you know what? I, I don't think you actually want me to be there because we've known each other for a long time, and this is something you do every week, and yet you've never invited me. And how many times people actually feel uninvited to church simply by our unwillingness to engage with them and invite them into something we think is valuable. And it was kind of a mind-shifting perspective because uh, the, the good news in this is, is actually what he discovered in the next stat, which is this. 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited. Say, so, okay, all right, so 70% um, of unchurched people have never felt invited. Over 80% will accept the invitation or more likely will accept the invitation. So let's go do it. And I can just go ahead and pray. We can end. We're just going to make it happen. 
It's easy peasy. It says it right here, right? So that's the way it feels, right? So um, I wish that was the case. Uh, but the problem with this scenario is the next one, which is this. This is what he found. Only 2%, about 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. In fact, 98% of the churchgoers um, never extend an invitation in a given year. So we have this situation where there's a lot of people that aren't a part of church, unchurched, that are not invited. The vast majority of them would accept an invitation, but then a group of people who are on a mission to go and share the good news of Jesus and to invite them into um, joining us in this purpose and mission that God's called us to, and yet it's just not happening. It's just not happening. And this isn't you specifically. This is just, in general, what the church is happening right now across the nation. But something's really out of whack. And the challenge of this message today um, is, is really to consider for yourself, are you the 2%? that are inviting people into a relationship with Jesus or to the church. In fact, if I was to ask it of the big question today, is when was the last time you personally invited someone to a relation, to a, into a relationship with Jesus or the church? Like for you personally. See, see we're a, a, a great commission church. And what I mean by that is that, that Jesus, before he ascended, after he had died, buried, rose again, is he gave a mission to the people that were going to be considered as followers. And uh, that they were commissioned and, and eventually given the Holy Spirit to go and um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them to do. So what we are saying in that is that it is on us, me and you, together, to go do this. And so the question is, is how we're doing? How, how, it, how is it going? Or is this something that is common for us? Well, if we're honest, has it been a really long time? Now, this may stir up a different question for you, which I think is a fair question, uh, and one I want to really focus in on today, which is maybe what this brings up to you. Say, listen, I would, but if I'm, if I'm honest, I don't even know how to. Like, how, how do I invite someone? to Jesus, or even to the church. Like maybe it's more specific for you. Maybe, maybe there's, this is a fear. It's like, what, what's keeping me from wanting to do this? Maybe, maybe it's not knowing how, or thinking through the best way. And that's why this, this challenge today, of me wanting to help you know how to, or at least begin the process of at least feeling confident that what you're sharing is worth sharing, and what you're sharing is founded on evidential truth. And this is something worth sharing to someone else. Like, I want you to feel that way when you walk out today. You might feel a little overwhelmed with a lot of information. Um, you might feel, and that's on purpose, I want you to feel so confident in what you're sharing that you know, even if you can't spout it all out, you at least know what you're sharing is founded on facts. And so I want to help you do that. And so to do that, the big idea is simply this, thoughtfully invite just one. And this idea of thoughtfully, I want to, Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I want us to thoughtfully consider how we're going to do this invitation, to think through how I'm going to do it, how it's going to go, what I'm going to share, what God's telling me to do, 
all of that kind of wrapped into one and loving some folks. So we're going to have some fun doing that. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. So to, to kick us off, I want to share with you uh, somebody I think is like just perfect in this regard, and it's uh, my buddy Philip. All right, so Philip, there's a couple different Philips in the New Testament. Um, the, not the Philip, the apostle who used to journey with Jesus, but there's actually a guy named Philip that was in Acts, and he was known as a servant of the church. He was just one of us. He was just somebody who loved the church, loved God, and loved people. That was it. There was no special qualifications for him. He didn't have a degree in it. It wasn't something that was, um, you know, something that was, that was within his uh, culture from what he grew up with. No, this was just somebody who loved God, loved the church, and wanted to be obedient to what God was calling him to do. And so uh, Philip is, is known as the deacon, Philip the deacon, Philip the evangelist. Uh, he was one of the seven deacons who, so, who was selected uh, to serve in Jerusalem and later in Samaria. So we're going to pick up in Acts 8. We're going to follow along his story and look at the way in which he engaged with someone to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. So let's check this out together. So uh, in Acts 8, verse 26, we're going to kick off. As for Philip, the, the servant, the deacon, An angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the reason I wanted to start out there was that, one, it was a messenger from God to his people, to to Philip specifically, to go the distance, to go in just one approach share someone and help them have a relationship with Jesus. Like this was the approach. And the reason I left it in is one, uh, this trip from Jerusalem to Gaza is about 60 miles, give or take. Um, and so he has to walk there. There's no, there's no Tesla, right? So he's, he's walking there. And so this is a multiple day trip. This is a desert road. This is a hard journey. And for some of us, we need to hear this and go, sometimes when God sends a messenger to go let you know you, or, or convicts you with the Holy Spirit, as we're going to read in a second, to go, it may not be the easiest road. Like, it may not be the easiest person to talk to. It, it may not be the one that is most convenient. Sometimes when God calls, he will send a messenger, like a preacher, who says, you need to go to that person I've placed in your heart, even though it's a hard trip, even though it's going to take some time, even though it's going to be difficult. Like, that's what this scenario would be. It was a messenger saying, gotta go. Like, this needs to happen. Like, you need to follow through with this. And Philip did. So he, he went on this journey of 60 miles or more on, by foot. And um, we, we, we run this scenario where Philip uh, makes this trip and he encounters this Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and so if you are here today and you don't know what an Ethiopian, specifically eunuch, is, um, then the guy near you that just cringed, uh, he may be able to explain it to you. Um, but I will help you in some degree in the most Thoughtful way possible. All right, so this is a guy who uh, serves a queen. This one happened to be Queen Candace of the Northern Nile River area, if you're trying to think of where this is happening. Um, And so to make sure that these servants that work very closely with the queen do not have relations with her in a way that causes children to be born, then they give you a surgical procedure to make sure that doesn't happen. Are we good? Everybody make it through that okay. Are we all right? All right, if you have any other questions, t- yeah, you're welcome. If you have any questions, you can ask him or you can ask somebody near you and, um, and they will be able to help you out after service. So that's as far as I'm willing to go at this point. So, but this is who he encounters. So he encounters this guy who's a servant of a queen 
from a different race in a different area for a difficult conversation, right? He doesn't know he's walking into, but this is what happens. Uh, In verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. So this dude's riding in the carriage, and uh, he's like, Philip, I want you, conviction in the heart, I want you to go over and walk alongside, walk beside this carriage. And so this is, this is how Philip responds. I love this guy. Philip ran. I love that. He was like, oh, there, I've already walked like 60 daggone miles. If you want me to go to the carriage, I'm in at this point, right? So Philip ran over and he heard the man. He listened. He was a good listener. I, he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip responded by being a very nice guy, being considerate of his feelings, wouldn't make him feel uncomfortable, so he would open the door for him. He was kind to him. He gave him gifts. He was very polite when he met him, and then he went on about his day thinking his good deeds would eventually help him see Jesus. Oh, no, he didn't. Philip did as he asked, do you understand what you're reading? I was being facetious to some degree because a lot of us think our mission is to be kind, and you should be kind. But the commission wasn't go out throughout the world and be kind to people. You should be kind. You should be loving. But it was a commission to go and make, to engage. He also didn't just send the Facebook message out and figure that covers everybody. Um, Which, don't get me wrong, that can be a useful tool. But this challenge is to personally engage with someone. And that's what Philip did. And that's what I love about it is he... He was listening to him carefully, good listener, asking a great question. He was walking alongside. He got near. He went the long distance. He got near. He was a good listener, and he asked a great question. Continues. The man replied, the Ethiopian eunuch replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me, like I need to hear someone help me break it down. I'm confused. The Ethiopian eunuch was, was known as like a, a God-fearer. He was a Gentile. He obviously wasn't Jewish. And, and he was somebody who thought, maybe this God exists, but I don't know about him. I'm trying to read and understand, but I have no one to help me. And that's exactly why Philip was there. He was there to help. And so, so he said, how can I unless someone instructs me? And, he's, and he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And I love that. And it's engaging with someone, they say, hey, listen, come with me. Let's, let's engage in a conversation deeper. You asked a great question. You were a good listener. You were walking alongside me. You were close to me. Now let's go further. It goes on. The passage of scripture that he had been reading was this. This is from the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, that was prophesying about Jesus coming. It was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, Was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? You can imagine Philip being obedient to God, wanting to get close, traveling a long distance, a difficult distance to engage with somebody who could be uniquely different in background, uniquely different in education, um, look different, dress different, talk different, but he's willing to get close, willing to be a good listener, willing to ask great questions, and it brought him to this opportunity to share with him and help him figure out the problem he's trying to solve of who is it that this prophet of the Old Testament 
is talking about. And I love the way that Philip was like, man, this is why I exist. So beginning with the same scripture, so he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin with where you are, and I'll help you get to where you need to go. So, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. It was awesome. He was like, listen, this is set up amazing. This is like a God divine appointment. Like this is almost like this was meant to happen. Like this is the appointment in which I was called and meant to be here for. Like this was God's plan. I think, I think for a lot of us, we think of these appointments as um, like a denied appointment versus a divine appointment. Like we're thinking, we're assuming we're going to be denied. We're assuming we're, this isn't going to go well. We're assuming with all the fears wrapped up in this thing, that this isn't going to go well. Versus this is a divine God purpose. That's why I'm here. That's why I've been close. That's why I've been listening. That's why I ask questions. And that's why I'm going to help them see all the way through. And it continues. As they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. Just this cool story of an obedient servant of God who loved God, knows the mission on his life, was willing to go the distance, get close, and follow this process. This is the process that we're thinking, thoughtfully inviting someone, just one. Great questions, because he was being a good listener. He was able to give a reason from where he was coming from, and eventually give the gospel. This was the process. It's a thoughtful process of I want to take you through this journey to help you solve the problem you're trying to solve. Because we're all trying to solve a problem. The person you're going to be engaged with is trying to solve the problem of life or something else, and you're able to meet them where they are, get close, be a good listener, ask great questions, give the reason for the hope that you have and arrive at the good news of the gospel. Okay, so this is what's going to happen. Uh, remember I was talking about you potentially being overwhelmed. I'm going to share with you a story quickly. And by quickly, I mean, I'm hoping I can get it done without you getting mad at me about the Ravens game. So, um, like, in that journey, between now and your frustration, somewhere in that journey, I'm going to unload a bunch of information on you. Now, you're going to feel potentially overwhelmed? Good. I want the mountain of evidence I'm getting ready to share with you to make you feel overwhelmed that what you're standing on when you're standing on God is on a mountain of evidence of a solid rock. I want you to feel that way, okay? Good. Number two, I also want to help you in thinking through how to help someone else in their journey to Christ. And so I'm going to share a story with you, specifically someone that I walked with, and through their journey and through their story of meeting where they are, I want to help you figure out how practically to live this out, all right? So um, some of you are note-takers, and you really will hate me because I'm going to move through slides too fast, all right? So for you, I'm going to encourage you, grab your phone, take a photo of it, all right? So grab your phone, take a photo of it, so that way when we're going through it, I don't have to hear anyone yell at me, but just be ready. We're going to go through lots of content, lots of information. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so uh, his name was Michael. Um, I I didn't know uh, who he was at the time, but I knew the girl he was interested in. Her name was Dara. So uh, Dara was somebody that I served with in uh, Kentucky. She was uh, somebody I was overseeing uh, women's ministry. She helped in women's ministry. I oversaw missions. She helped in missions. She was an awesome, awesome woman of God. Um, and she was uh, befriend. Uh, there was somebody that she engaged with that was wanting to be more than a friend with her. He was wanting to engage in a relationship with her to begin dating her and that type of thing. 
So Dara was asking for us to pray for her friend named Michael. And so we were. And then um, she basically reached a point where she said, listen, Michael, if you want this to continue, if you want to be with me, then you need to figure out where you're at with God because this won't work otherwise. Which I love that in my head, the way I see that going, like, if you want to get with me, you better get right with God. Like, that's the way I'm thinking, but she wasn't that way, but like, I, I love that. I'm just like, yeah, you get him, girl. Like, like so, but, but that's, so he's like, all right, to get with you, I got to go to church. I'll go to church. So, so here's this guy. He's, he's just this, I, I don't know much about him at the time. Um, come to find out, he was just a, um, a contractor by trade. And, and I'll, I'll tell you more about him in a second. But anyways, so um, she sends us a message, says, hey, he's coming Sunday. And uh, I'm preaching that Sunday. So more or less, don't screw this up, right? That's kind of the, right? So I'm coming, don't preach on money. That's gonna be bad. Don't do that. Just like, I need a good one, all right? So anyways, I, I preach message. At the end, I say, and what I'll say to all of us, say, listen, there is no question you have about God or about science, philosophy, et cetera, that we're afraid of, that we wouldn't love to engage with you for us to discover truth in. Just there isn't a question that you could ask. There isn't a religion that you've come from. There isn't anything that you're coming from that we, don't, we wouldn't love to meet you where you are and us work together to figure out what is true, what's not, and what that means for me and you. Like, that was my invitation, all right? So I get finished with the message. I share that. I come down steps, and I'm kind of towards here. And, and everybody's leaving um, except for one gigantic man. Um, and this man with cut-off sleeves um, is, like, with just bulgy, like, marching towards me, right? He's just coming towards me. So I'm over here. And, you know, and God hadn't necessarily gifted me with, you know, physical attributes that felt like, I, I feel like I should better use my words. So um, as, he's, as he's coming, um, and, and he looks kind of intense and angry, um, he stops a good distance from me. And I, that was an answered prayer. So he stopped a good distance from me, and he goes, hey, you serious? And I was like, um, about what? Uh, yeah, I think. Like, I'm not sure what this is going to end up being. So, um, yes. And, and he goes, he goes, so you're willing to answer questions? Because I got a bunch of them. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to engage with you. He says, Tuesday, 3.30. It was like somebody calling you out to the playground. You ever had like one of those? It was like, I'll meet you after school. I was like, that's what it felt like. So I was like, okay, Tuesday, 3.30. And he like turned around and walked off. I was like, I'm Brian, by the way. I don't know his name. I think that was Michael. So, um, Anyways, I have administrative assistance at the time, and so um, they, uh, on Tuesday, I go to him, I say, hey, listen, so here's the thing, uh, a very large man that's going to be very scary and angry looking, hopefully he's calmed down by now, is going to come in, and he's going to say he has an appointment with me, you can just let him on in. Um, and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever, Brian. And then, sure enough, he shows up, and they send over a quick message to me, hey, scary man on his way. Um, and so I'm aware, and so like I'm getting up out of my desk, and I'm getting ready to go to the door, and my lo- door's a little bit cracked, and he just busts right through the door. He just, boom, right through the door. He comes over to me, he doesn't say a word to me, he goes up to this Bible that was actually sitting on my desk at the time, he goes up to this Bible, and he goes, why do you put so much trust in that book? He sits down, crosses his arms. Um, so, thinking about Philip here, and I'm going, um, I need to ask a great question. I'm Brian. What's your name? That's the best I can come up with, right? That's all I got. Um, he goes, I'm Michael. Why? I was like, this is going to go great. I feel really confident right now. This feels really good. So, 
I want to help you through the process of what just took place and transpired over me and him for quite a little bit of time. I want to try to break this down quickly for you. So this was like an hour and some odd conversation I'm trying to give you in like a short little increment here. So first step, great questions, right? Remember, step one that Philip was doing, he asked great questions and being a good listener. So uh, first step, great questions. This is the stories, this is the questions I asked him. This is the flow. All right, so what I did in that, I said, um, hey, um, Michael, like just for a second, I know you're questioning why this book and why that way. I was like, but can I push this aside for a second? I was like, to help you understand kind of where we're coming from, first I need to know where you are. So I need to know where you are in your journey in faith, in God or not. I need to know your background a little bit to help you get from where you are to where you need to be. I need to know what you're reading, what you're studying, what you're talking about to help me understand that. So we engaged in a great dialogue with him sharing with me his journey and his history. Unchurched, never been in church, knew, knew nothing. Like he didn't know the prodigal son, he didn't know Moses, he didn't know anything. He was very, very raw um, to everything Christianity was. And so after he shared his story, me understanding where he was, he was very scientific and philosophical in his education and background. Um, I said, if Christianity were true, if I could show that to you today, would you want to be one? It's a great question to ask somebody. Reason being is that if their answer to that is no, or they're like, I don't know if I would want to be. So even if I showed you that it was true, fact, you still wouldn't want to be, that helps me know that it's not actually about whether or not it's true or false. It's about whether or not you would want to be, which is more emotional. So that helps me know where you are to help you on your journey. If your response to that is, I don't know if I want to be a Christian, even if it was true, well, then telling you a bunch of things that are true isn't going to help you. Uh, what, what, what I need to help you with is figure out why you're emotionally wanting to stay away from it. Maybe it's bad Christians you've been around. Maybe you're just like, I don't want to give up the things I really enjoy doing. And I just have to help you from a different space. Now, for Michael, he said, yeah, if Christianity is true, I'd be one. I was like, awesome. Next question for him was, well, then does God exist? Very basic. Like, how do you think we all came to be? Like, how did all creation, let's look out, I had a window there. I was like, look out the window, look at the field, trees. How? How did this all come to be? What do you, what's your best explanation for that? Do you think that God exists? And then based on that, and that there's some evidences there that I shared, philosophical and scientific evidences for that specific thought process of God eventually leading to Jesus, of us knowing who that God is, and then it leads to the Bible. Is the Bible reliable? Helping him think through that. And then number five, if true, do you want to know what that means for you? That was the questions I walked you through. So let me help you break down what that question and story answer time was. So remember me talking about being ready to give a reason. You're a good listener, great questions, leads you to giving a reason for the hope that you have. So this is what I did for Michael. Now, you don't have to know all of these arguments. It's just helpful for you to know that they exist. Um, so I'm going to give you just an example of the first one here. Um, the cosmological argument is based off of the idea of more or less Romans 1.20, which is for the, uh, the way it says, for, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so no man or woman has an excuse. All right, so it's based off of that, which means God's creation is gives enough evidence for us to help see that God is real. So the cosmological argument is basically like a cause. It's like the three premises are this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. All right? The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause of its existence. Okay? So him being philosophical, it's where he was coming from. I want to help him along that journey. So basically what that means is that science and philosophy all point to that our universe had a beginning in the finite past, 
That's not about argument about when that was, but it's just that everything points to there was a finite past. Philosophically speaking, whatever caused the universe to begin to exist had to be timeless because time began, spaceless because space began, immaterial because material began, powerful because it caused it all to take place, and personal because it was fine-tuned. That's what science and philosophy says took place before the finite past that we call the cosmological argument. Something caused it to happen, and this is the characteristics of the cause. I said, what you and your science would say is this timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, and personal thing is, we call God. That's the facts of who we're talking about. And for him, he never thought through or heard that before. I said, but it doesn't stop there, buddy, because the fine-tuning argument talks about that the things that are so finely tuned, like the gravitational constant, that if it was off by one hair's breadth, we would, there would be no uh, ability to have life. So we're so fine-tuned, it's not by some random luck. It's not by natural selection, because nature doesn't select that way. And the random luck, the mathematics don't match up. The best explanation is that it was a fine-tuning creator. The moral argument, likewise, that we all know certain things are wrong, and it's deep within us across the globe that there's something unique to mankind. And then finally, the reality of the Jesus argument. This creator, who is it? Is the God of this, the God of that, is the God of this, God of that? The reason we, we believe it is the God of the Bible is because of the evidence of Jesus. And so here's another one, a lot of information. Take a photo if you need to. The seven E's of testimonies. So when someone's looking at the historical documents of, uh, let's say, Constantine or somebody of the past, and they want to see whether or not it is uh, true, they look at certain characteristics of evidence to see if it is true. These are ways to prove if something that is being said of the, of the past, like a cold case Christianity from J. Warren Wallace, it's, it's about these cold cases of the past. How would they know if it's true? These are the evidences. So as an example, early testimony. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6 was written within three years of Jesus' death. Ethical testimony, no reason to doubt the character of the disciples. They were Jewish guys. There's no reason to think they would have been lying. In fact, they would have had every reason to think against what they were witnessing with the resurrection of Jesus. Eyewitness testimony, after the resurrection, Jesus appeared over 500 at one time, 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Embarrassing testimony, perhaps my favorite. Um, This is um, like this because I always get... People mad at me. So uh, uh, women at that time in that culture, their testimony was worthless. Like it wouldn't even stand up in court. And yet it's written in scripture that the women found the empty tomb first. From a historical perspective, the fact that you would put something in there that would not help your case makes it more likely true. Does that make sense? So, so what they're saying is that the fact that you said women found it first, if you really were lying about that situation, you'd be like, the king showed up and he saw that the throne was empty and all of his people, like that would have been a bloviated excuse to saying something. But the fact he was saying that women saw it first was actually what they call embarrassing testimony. Not to mention Peter was told, get behind me, Satan. That would have been embarrassing for Peter, by the way. So things like that says it's more likely true than not. Excruciating testimony, they were willing to die for this truth. People aren't willing to die for a known lie. Extra-biblical testimony, Jesus of Nazareth was mentioned by 10 non-Christian sources, Josephus, Tacticus, Pliny the Younger, Jewish Talmud, etc. Enemy testimony, that Jewish leaders acknowledged that Jesus' tomb was empty, as well as confirmation about the resurrection and conversion of many Jewish priests in Acts 
Anyways, a lot of content, a lot of information. The point is for him to help him see the reason why we believe that there is a God of the universe is through his creation. The reason we believe it's the God of the Bible is through Jesus. And I believe the reason why we believe that this Bible is evidentially true is because that proven Jesus had to say this about it. Jesus affirms the Bible, its indestructibility, its infallibility, its final authority, its historicity. Are you overwhelmed yet? Not yet? I'll keep going. Um, And feel free to take a photo. But this is Jesus affirming within these passages, him saying, this, for Jesus is going, this is why I put so much in this book. I'd rather Jesus tell you than just me give you my opinion about it. So this is Jesus saying, I've already proven that God, I've, I've helped you see the evidence for Jesus in this New Testament. And now Jesus is affirming this scripture. Goes on. Jesus continues to affirm its factual inerrancy and authority that God created the world within it and divine inspiration throughout it. This is Jesus going, this is why this is true. And so he asked me the question, why do we put so much faith in this book? I put so much faith in this book because Jesus had so much faith in this book. I have so much faith in Jesus because of the evidence that Jesus did and said what he did and is who he says he is. And I have faith in this book because that same Jesus is part of the triune nature of God and that God creator, the creations proclaims the majesty and work of his hands. And so when we look up at the stars at night and when you're walking around realizing how uniquely fine-tuned and how everything came to be, you know it's timeless, spaceless, immaterial, powerful, and personal. I just know his name. That's the difference between me and you. Michael, maybe how many of you feel was kind of like, Whoa, he talked fast, and that was a lot. But it also led him to go, okay, I had no idea there was that much evidence and that much fact behind your faith. And I said, man, you want to know why that's good news for you? That if this is all true, why this is good for you? And I shared this with him. Big Red bears consume people. You're welcome. Let's pray. No. So, because I'm an idiot, this is what I have to do. Somebody's taking a picture of that. I love that. That is fantastic. Okay. Let me help you. Okay. So, big red bears consume people helps me remember how to share the gospel. All right? And it's in this way. Be. Believe. Repent. Be baptized. Confess. Persevere. Big red bears consume people. Got it? That's the way it is for me because I'm an idiot and that's the only way I can remember. And sometimes when large angry men come running at me, it makes me jarred and I can't remember things. So um, this, this helps me be able to know how to share. And so when we arrived at that point, helped him where he was, figure that out, and then I get to the point where I get to share with him, this is what it means for you. That, that, that John 3.16 that for God so loved you and this whole world, they sent his only son so that for me and you, we can have eternal life. That because of our sin, he, he came to be a penalty for us so that through him, we now can be with him forever. The same God that made the moon and stars, the same God who finally tuned things, that gave us objective morality is the same God who gave us Jesus who died for you. So now would you confess that, turn from that, what we call repentance? 
Obedience into baptism, which is a surrendering of yourself, saying, I am now yours. I'm dead to myself. Arise new in you. And persevere in James 1.12, which is saying, this is a covenantal commitment between you and God, here and now and forever, that you will remain faithful to him. Not perfect, but always faithfully coming back to your king. When I shared that with him, he said, okay, I'm, I'm in. Where do I begin reading this for myself? So I told him, all right, buddy, I recommend starting with the book of Luke. So why don't you start in the book of Luke? We prayed together. He left. I followed up with him about meeting again. And this is what his email had said. He said, um, hey, Brian, thanks for getting back with me. Maybe sometime next week. I know you said I should start with Luke, but I started with John. Like, you came to me looking for advice. <laughs> Y'all angry-faced. I give you advice, and then you just bust out your own ideas. I let it go. He said, when I, was, when I started, the book with, started with John, I didn't want to quit once I got started. Through the book of John, Mike wanted to dive in deeper, and so I got him plugged into a men's Bible study with one of our elders. He completed the book of John, and Mike himself believed, repented, confessed, and this is Mike getting baptized. A guy who at one point was angrily frustrated by what he was hearing through the evidence that God had allowed us to have to be able to share with him and show him. The evidence of our creator God, all the way to the evidence of Jesus in the New Testament, for him to have a solid foundation to accept the good news of Jesus. It is amazing that Jesus gives us the opportunity to lovingly walk with people just like that and help them, invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Now, Maybe you're here today and you're like, all this information, man, there's no way I'm going to remember all this. And listen, there's resources and things I'll help you with, and we'll share those on social media and things like that. Follow for Christian. We'll, we'll make sure you have content and things you can study on this. To me, it's worthwhile because I love Michael enough before I met him to want to make sure I had every way possible to help him. And I invite you to do the same. But maybe you're not there. Maybe the step where you need to take right now for your just one is what Dara did. Dara loved Jesus, but her invite to get him to Jesus was an invite. Why don't you come to church? Why don't you come hear it for yourself? And then why don't you meet the pastor? Maybe he can help you. For some of us, that may be your next step. It's just an invitation to come to church. Maybe it's an invitation for you to dive in deeper, to be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. Either way, maybe you'll make a commitment today to see who it is that you're just one. You're willing to go the distance, get close, be a good listener, ask great questions, give the reason for hope, and ultimately share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you, Lord, that you um, have given us so much that, Lord, even though it's a lot of information, God, it is good information. 
You didn't have to give us all that you gave us, but Lord, you have spoken through your creation to the ends of the earth and the ends of the universe that all point back to you. So God, I thank you that no matter where we may be on our journey, that Lord, you have given us enough reason to continue to know you more. God, I know there's people in this room right now that might be like Michael who honestly are still questioning things and they got lots of questions. God, would you help them see you in a new way? Help those that love them or you invited them into this place or maybe one of these pastors be able to walk with them to help them see and understand if this is true and what that means for them. God, for the rest of us, would you convict us and show us right now the way you did with your Holy Spirit and the messenger of you, God, to Philip, would you convict us and show us right now who it is you want us to engage with? God, will we commit to do that to you today? Would you help us in that? We thank you for never leaving us, forsaking us through this, but being with us and giving us words sometimes that even we have a hard time understanding. We love you, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. The perfect time for communion for us is at the end of each message because it is the why we do everything. Why is it that we would go a long distance down a dirty road to get in an awkward conversation with someone? And this is a reminder of why, which is that Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to die for us, that he loved us first, so that's why we're willing to love others. So I'm encouraging now as we take of this communion to remember what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross, raising again, defeating death, defeating our sins so that way we get to now engage with him both now and forever. If you forgot your communion cup, you can raise your hand and one of these uh, guys will bring one to you. And as they do that, we'll take up this bread remembering the body that was broken for you. Let's do that together. And next would be the juice. Peel off the next layer. and This represents the blood of Jesus. A reminder for us that the blood that was poured out by him for us on our behalf. And this is why we do what we do. Let's pray. Let's do it together. Jesus, we uh, remember right now. As we've taken in the bread and the juice, we remember that Jesus, because of what you did for us, that we do all the things you call us to do. So God, as we commit right now to the just one that you have asked us to chase after, God, will we be constantly reminded of what you did for us, even when the days and the conversations get hard? Because Jesus, you are worth it. And we thank you for this reminder. It's your name we pray.